Welcome to the Financial Flossing Podcast with Ross Brannan, guiding dental professionals to a brighter future. Ross Brannan is a financial advisor who knows it's not just about your teeth. He helps dental practice owners protect and maximize today's cash flow to plan for tomorrow's cash needs. Find him at rossbrannan.com. On the show, he brings together experts to help dental professionals looking to make smart money decisions to grow their income, turn their retirement goals into reality, and improve their lives. And now, here's your host, Ross Brannan. Welcome to the show. Today, we have Lori Barkman, the business transition Sherpa. She's the former CEO of a $100 million revenue company that was sold to a Fortune 50 company. That by itself is amazing. She provides strategic business transition planning pre-mergers and acquisition with her firm, Small.Big LLC. And as a certified mergers and acquisition advisor at Stony Hill, she provides a structured process for business owners to plan successful transitions of their companies. She's the author of the Business Transition Handbook, how to avoid succession pitfalls and create valuable exit options, guiding business owners on their journey from transition to transaction, from creating value to letting go. She's an adjunct professor of entrepreneurship at Carnegie Mellon University and hosts the award-winning podcast, Succession Stories, where she speaks with hundreds of entrepreneurs who have shared their journeys through succession. She earned her MBA from Carnegie Mellon, her Bachelor of Science from Cornell, and she received certifications for the Alliance of Mergers and Acquisitions Advisors, the Exit Planning Institute, and the Value Builder System. Holy cow, what an intro. Lauren, <laughs> welcome to the show. Hey, Ross, thanks so much. It's great to be with you. I love the name of your podcast. It wins hands down from a branding standpoint. Well, thank you so much. Tell me, in a nutshell, for our listeners, what do you do? The business transition Sherpa. What is a Sherpa? It's somebody that's with you on your journey. I look at entrepreneurship as a journey from startup to growing to maturity to the next phase. And that next phase I call transition because I don't presume to know how they're going to transition and what that looks like. I don't call it exit planning, although certainly it's part of it. But transition is part of a journey. And I'm with you on that journey. And I provide a framework for that. As you said in my introduction, I have a lot of experience on growing businesses. I've worked in every size company from startup to you know these very, very large corporate enterprises. And I have a lot of respect for entrepreneurs. It's very it can be a very lonely place to be a CEO. You're in your head all the time. You have these big, big questions and you want to have somebody to work with you who's who's been there, somebody to support you. And that's me. So I work from transition to transaction, from creating value to letting go. And those are really key phases uh, in this journey. So what's interesting about this, as you well know, the DSO world, the private equity, is coming in and buying dental practices like crazy. I had a conversation with a client this week who was selling their practice for $21 million. That's a nice day at the office. And then it fell through. Now, they were doing this by themselves. This is the second time they've tried to sell uh, I don't know that they've had the, um, how should I say it, the uh, optimal advisement from, uh, you know, brokers. And, uh, you know, I think there's, there, you notice there there's brokers and then there's M&A. There, there's definitely a difference in the uh, services there. And this person was kind of having to do this on their own and, 
you know, is struggling and, and, and they really need a professional to guide them. I think that's really what the difference. One of the differences between a broker and an M&A advisor is, is they can help clean up some of the stuff and then help them take to mark, take it to market when the time is right. Uh, in your experience, how many times have you seen somebody try and do them themselves and uh, it not go as well as they thought it would? Yeah, it's pretty common. It's like selling your house. You're going to sell your house by yourself. Okay, maybe you save a little bit of money here and there, but it, it consumes you. It, and and by the way, you might be working full time. So if you are running your business, you can't take your foot off the gas. And there's a lot of time spent and expertise that you might benefit from by having somebody next to you, on a, you know, on your team, like a mergers and acquisitions intermediary. Um, a broker, in your definition here, I would say is probably most commonly used in Main Street types of transactions, which quite often uh, the level of service is more like, okay, let's learn about your business and then we'll post it on these portals so that people can find it and then we'll we'll handle the, the back and forth. Uh, for someone like myself as a, as a mergers and acquisitions intermediary, yeah, we're we're white glove servicing, you know, this this client relationship. Let's get you ready to the much as much as we we can. If you've been prepped and working with someone like me on exit value planning and transition planning for six, nine, twelve months ahead of that, that's ideal. Many clients come to me and they've had some failed attempt either to sell on their own or they thought they could work with a broker and it just didn't work out. They just didn't have the right level of service and representation they were expecting. So that's the main thing. I think if you're trying to do it on your own, it's one is time and two is expertise. You don't know what you don't know. And yeah, more often than not, people come to us saying, yeah, we tried this. We had an email, you know, we had a cold call. We had an email. We we tried to go about it. It didn't work out well. And there's a lot of stories out there like that. So let's talk, you and I talked uh, offline before this, and I think this is a good a good topic for us to talk about. Your book says Business Transition Handbook. It's called, it's called the Business Transition Handbook. And uh, it's definitely worth checking out if, if you're interested in that type of stuff at all. I have been somewhat outspoken, but I'll be even more outspoken here. I don't believe in retirement. I think retirement is a con. I think it's a it was a it was a creation of government. Uh, Dan Sullivan, a strategic coach, has done a lot of uh, historical research on that from the uh, early 1900s when it was created. And I think the financial services industry has kind of accelerated that because they're in the business of selling retirement planning, <clears throat> and some of that retirement planning is good. I prefer the term transition. You may not do what you're doing forever. I may not doing what I'm doing forever. I don't want to retire. I mean, to take out of service. Uh, I would like to transition. Now, part of my reason I'm anti-retirement is my dad had a forced retirement in his 50s. He was a good saver, so lucky for him, he was able to financially manage that. But uh, to watch him over the last 20 plus years become just slowly decay away mentally and physically is sealed the fate of me never stopping doing anything. And, and so whether it's a, a bias or whether I'm right, doesn't matter, that's, that's what I'm doing. So now, I, and I've told this story before and I told you, but I'll say it again, is I had a friend who in his 46, 47, sold a dental practice for around $10 million. He lived in a rural area. So, I mean, the cost of living is relatively low. I asked him what he was going to do when he was done. And he said, uh, it was, I, think it was, I think it was $10 million. I asked him what, he'd do, what he was going to do when he was done. Now that he, now that he had sold, obviously he had an earn out. He said, I'm going to manage my investments. To which I replied, 
brother, you ain't that rich unless you're day trading. Well, turns out a couple of years later, he has said to me he completely regrets uh, regrets selling. He feels like he was pressured into it. And now that his earnouts soon to be up, he's going to start another practice. And so there are people in the dental world in their early, in their mid 30s, late 30s, even early 40s, selling their practices for 10, 15, sometimes $20 million, which congratulations to them. I don't know that everyone realizes how much money it would take to live on for the, at, the, at your current lifestyle for the next 60 plus years. But talk a little bit about, or let's have a little debate on this of, you know, should somebody retire? Should they take the chips off the table and then go do something else? What, what's your experience say? What's your take on all this? Yeah, there's a lot to unpack in what you just uh, talked about, Ross. And I think it's gonna it's gonna be a great conversation. There's a lot of a lot of things we can we can kind of share with each other here. Um, the first the first and foremost, I think thematically, is how do we avoid exit regrets, right? If we know eventually we are going to leave our company one day. You by the way, that's that you should copyright and trademark that statement. Exit, <laughs> regrets. exit yeah. regrets right there. Copy mark right and trademark it. it. Done. Done and done. It is human to have emotions about our business. Absolutely, it's fundamental, especially if you're the founder, especially if you are part of a family business and your name is on the door. We are so tied into our identity in America anyway, I'll talk about our culture, of work, right? And work that we do and we're proud of it. And if we separate from that and it's very tied in with our identity, we feel lost. There's no question. Well, the first thing you do when you meet someone, hi, my name's Ross. What do you do? Yeah, that's a very American thing, by the way. So I'll just uh, take it from that standpoint. In, In other cultures, it's not necessarily about that. So what can we learn from that? I think the one observation is that if we have other things in our life that gives us a pride, it gives us a source of identity, and it's not just about the business, that helps. That helps in our eventual transition from the business. Again, I'll say this again, and it's tongue in cheek, but not not really, right? 100% of business owners are gonna leave their company one day. 100%, it's going to happen. So are you going to leave horizontally or vertically, okay? And- For those of you who missed that, <laughs> the question is, are you gonna die at your desk or are you gonna sell? You're going to transition. I, I'm not saying sell, I'm saying there's a point when you will leave your business because you will, yes, you will leave the planet. And if we are thoughtful and purposeful and have good intent, when time is on our side, we can create more options for ourselves. So let's go back to your question, which is, do I advocate retirement or not? Well, this book that I've written, you you mentioned the subtitle, which is how to avoid succession pitfalls. Each chapter is a pitfall to avoid. I set it up that way. I put myself in the in the seat of the reader, and I'm, I was thinking, okay, I'm going to write this book, and I want somebody to really get value out of it. That's why I called it a handbook. I want you to dog ear it. I want you to write in it. I want you to mark it up. I even have a PDF for those of you who prefer Kindle. You can download my PDF for free of all the exercises in the book. So even if you prefer Kindle, hey, still get some uh, note-taking going. Anyway, the second chapter starts with personal. It starts with what what is your transition mindset and what's important to you? And as we think about your goals and as we think about your current roles, who you are closely identified with 
in your business, outside of your business, where do you get a lot of feeling of pride and excitement? The more things we can put in front of in your life that are outside the business and you can feel an excitement to pull, okay, this concept of pulling you forward, pulling you to your next thing. Those are your pull factors. The things that are more negative associated with an exit are push factors. And if you can think about as a, um, like a teeter-totter kind of, right? And the more pull factors we have, we actually have some data around this, that those positive things can help your enterprise value when it's time for you, if you would choose to sell, right? And into a third party or management or whoever. If you have more negative things pushing you out of your business, like the D's, nobody loves the D's, but let's talk about the D's, right? Divorce, disability, dissolution, death, right? Uh, departure, disaster, there's probably six D's out there. Nobody loves the D's, the D's are bad. So if you have some of these in your situation, of course, it's into, you know, it just makes sense. You're gonna, you're, the price of your business is gonna have a discount on it. There's, there's more crisis involved there. So the advocation that I have in general is to think about what role you want to play over time. I don't necessarily say you have to retire. I say, let's think about what your options are. If you wanna take yourself out of the day-to-day, put your feet up on the desk and enjoy a very short work week and play golf or do whatever and start a, you know another business on the side, that's a pull factor. So the more we are able to have a plan, a proactive identity shifting over time that you're owning a business versus a business owner, right? What's the difference between the two? One is more arm's length. I own a business that's more arm's length versus I'm a business owner. So again, first, I think first and foremost, when it comes to regret, and I know there's some great books on, on regret. You mentioned one, Daniel Pink is another, Bo Burlingham has written a good book about that um, called Finish Big. And regret number one that I talk about a lot and when I, I do webinars and you know certainly my show and everything on on um, succession but when it comes to avoiding exit regrets is number one let's let's work on how do we not have a loss of identity when you're no longer in the business well I think that's such a key point and it is American culture that our work is our identity and when you basically retire or sell your business, and you don't have those pull factors you talk about, it's like your identity was just taken from you. And there's only so much golf you can play. There's only so much travel you can do. There's only so much time you can go see your grandkids. And you have to have something to do. You have to have a purpose in life. If your purpose was owning this business, and maybe it Maybe it was at 35, but if you can have a transition of mindset and identity over a period of time until you sell, but that, that would help out a ton. I think I told you this before, before we hopped on air, I have a friend who works two days a week and he makes over seven figures a year. And he's like, why would I ever sell my business? I'm basically, quote, living a retired life now. And I'm like, I would agree. Um, you, you've got a really good thing. And I think there's a, you know... I think there's a challenge too is like what I've seen in business owners, there are people on one end of the spectrum, they have a, what I call a lifestyle business where they really just own a job. Now it's a good job, but they own a job. Then you have people who are business owners 
and they have a much higher income and they can actually sell for a much higher price. But I do think it really comes down to identity. And quite frankly, I think that's probably an American cultural issue that we need to all, you know, deal with. Because I know people who are employees who, when they retired, struggled with depression because of the identity of what they did. And so when you work with somebody, can you tell right away if their if their identity is basically wrapped up in the business? And do you address that? And how do you how do you address that? Yeah, it depends when they start working with me. If they have some time on their side, let's say more than a year, right? If they come with me and they say, I want to sell in a year, there's not much I can do, really. We can talk about it, but we have a lot of other things to do to get ready. Don't they usually tell you they hire you and they say, I want to sell in six weeks? And like, uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> then there's really not much time. Yeah, but if you have, you know, two, three, five, some people say, oh, 10 so far out. But yeah, 10 is a great time to start, actually. And and I love sometimes people come on my show and they say this for me. Otherwise, I'll say it, which is you should have a business that could sell at any time. Because if you do, that means you have a really well-run business. So people have a misnomer about exit planning, which is why I don't say exit planning necessarily. I say transition planning because you're going to have a more enjoyable business to run, more profitable business. If you follow the advice from folks like you, Ross, and folks like me, which are saying, Here's a, here are the things that ultimately one day will make your business more transferable, more attractive, and more ready for sale. And if you work on that all the time, why wait till the end? Because if you wait till the end, likely it's too late, which is Part and parcel of your question, if I was going to kind of take an absolute view on it, you know, if someone's really saying, I enjoy this so much, I cannot separate from my business, either because of their identity or financial, or they just love working every day, that's fantastic. And I applaud that. However, if they look at the big picture and try to think about their legacy, the sustainability of the organization after they leave, literally leave, you know, what does that mean? There are so many business owners who do not have good protections for the business when it comes to contingency and emergency planning. So let's almost take this other perspective on it and say, okay, if the owner dies, what happens? Many times there's chaos. You have a period of mourning, you have chaos that no one's going to take over for that person because maybe they are the lead salesperson they have the relationships with the clients and if by the way if there's a partner if there's a partner there may or may not be a buy sell and there's almost a hundred percent chance the buy sell isn't funded correct and if the person is a widow or widower and then the business might go to their kids well guess what depending what state you're in if you don't have a will you're going to be headed to probate and what do you think your employees are going to do how are they going to feel are they going to stay around? It just creates a lot of chaos. I have clients where they don't understand, and I've been trying to help them understand why do they need a will? Why do they need to have a contingency plan in place? Not just for, you know, you, you might not, it might, you might not pass away, but you might be incapacitated and not able to serve at the same level of you in serving in your business. If you care about your employees at all, <laughs> if you care about your customers at all, you will do that planning. So let's just take that and say, yes, that makes sense. Okay, great. Let's put that aside. Now, when it comes to transition planning, I can ask the same question. If you want your business to continue forward, does it make sense for you to run your business till you're 80? I have a, uh, they're, they're not a client because of um, 
some some uh, monetary budget issues, but nonetheless, we got pretty far down the path, and I put together a proposal, which was, let me help you come up with a plan for how to get your father out of the business. The father keeps coming into the office. The father owns the majority. His aunts are also owners, but they're not involved day to day. This uh, son is, I would say, young 50s, and it's a very small business. It's manufacturing. They have about five people in the office every day. And there's so much tension. It's toxic. And everyone's wondering, when is the father going to retire? When is Junior going to finally have the keys and run the business like we believe you know, his vision, we believe in his vision and we want to, we want to help him succeed. So my proposal to them was going to be to um, spend time one-on-one with all the employees to draw out how they are feeling about it. Because the, we think that the, the senior is, um, you know, valuable and he wants to have an income and we want to preserve that. We're not trying to cut him out of anything, but he may not really be aware. And that's the thing is how can we be a little more self-aware when it comes to our business and thinking about not just us and what makes us happy, but if you really care about your customers and your employees, and of course your family, if they're working in the business, uh, you'll think about it a little more holistically. Yeah, and I, I tend to be very black and white, but it's really not a black and white issue. Every fact, every situation is different with facts and circumstances. So while I'm anti-retirement, they're you know, and pro-transition, or I'm anti-quitting work, to your point, every situation is different because you don't want to be the 80-year-old guy in the business who's hanging on and he's kind of hurting or ruining the business when if he walked away, it could really probably help it grow. And so, Absolutely. but it is, a, it is a different animal if you're 35 or 40, you really have to figure out, okay, what's my net, if I, if I do want to sell, I want to take chips off the table, I'm a dentist, do I want to do my earn out and then go start over again and, and just, you know, You've cracked the code. You know how to do it. Just do it all over again. You may, you may not. Or do you, do you find something to transition to? So I, I, I know a couple of guys who are selling their practice who are they they have a vision. They're starting another business, but nobody else have I ever talked to who's doing that. And it's it's a, um, I, I unfortunately I'm a little pessimistic of what their life might look like from a uh, whether it's a mental health standpoint or just a uh, enjoyment of life in about five years once those earnouts are done. I, I just, I don't think people always understand what that does. It's good to know yourself. There are two, I'll just focus on the, there's three, but I'll focus on two. There's, there's some archetypes. There's some personas. One is a mountain climber. A mountain climber persona is someone who is, has built this business and they are, they are built, they built it to sell and they are excited and move to their next thing. The pull fractors are off the chart, right? They are just naturally wired for these positive pull fractors. These are a lot of the tech, the, the tech entrepreneurs, you see this a lot. They started multiple tech companies, uh, and then they, they, they started one company, like well, it's like an Elon Musk, he did PayPal, and now he's at Tesla, now he's at, you know, whatever, whatever 900 companies he has. Yeah, absolutely, and I, and I think you've had some mountain climbers on your show. You had one, you had an episode recently where uh, uh, there was, uh, he was in, the, I think, the Massachusetts area, built a practice, sold it, and now he's doing some other entrepreneurial things and building some new amazing things. He's a great example of a mountain climber, and I'm just trying to find his name real quick. I think it was episode 106, if I'm not mistaken. The, the other one that you you might know of or relate to uh, archetype-wise is a craftsperson. 
And a craftsperson is really about the craft, the art. And I think a lot of medical professionals fall into that, right? The helping people and learning and getting certified and becoming a doctor, becoming a dentist. It's typically the craftsperson. And then they 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 learn the business side because they need to, but not because they learned it. And, you know, I have a friend who's uh, got a family practice in Georgia, and he's always lamenting about the business side. He's like, we didn't learn this in med school. I didn't know what I was getting into. And I think it's similar, probably, you know, I've heard others on your show talk about this issue. But the craftsperson, if they are out of their practice, eventually, they might like to do other things related to their skill set. They just inherently are wired that way. And that could be a really positive pull factor for them. doesn't necessarily have to be dentistry. It could be. Um, where they might say, you know, I just want to work in the practice. I don't want to run it anymore. Or they say, um, I want to advise other, I want to advise other uh, business owners, you know, dental practices, dentists who are going through this transition. An advisory role can be very meaningful for other people. It just depends, again, what you're, what you want to do. Others might just completely pivot and say, I want to, I want to go do glass blowing. You know, I've just been always wanted to do that. Never had time. Okay, great. You know, those are the explorations. I think we need to give ourselves some space for. No, and that, that's a really, really good point. So what would you say to somebody? They said, hey, you know, I'm however old. I'm, let's say I'm, I'm under 45 and I'm a very successful dentist. And, and I'm starting to see these DSOs buy some of my friends out. I get the occasional email offer. Um, I've considered it. It's the money seems too good to be true. Should I sell? Should I not sell? What would you tell somebody? What would you say? Here's an action item list you you should consider. You should go down before you take chips off the table. I think a big thing is where are they in their growth trajectory? If you have a practice that is really on the upside, that's a good time to sell in general. I won't say it's for everyone, but in general, you want to sell when your growth potential is you know you're going on that roller coaster and you're going up right if you're on the roller coaster and you're going down that's not a great time to sell now it's very difficult to time the market very difficult and we don't have crystal balls in front of us so that's one of the telltale is okay where is your business trajectory where's it been what's the last three years and before covid let's just take a look at everything and if you feel like your prospects conservatively your projections are showing conservative proven based on things you've done and they're still showing pretty pretty high growth rate that that could be a a good a good exploration to sell because let's face it buyers want your history they're buying your history your financial results but if you can also show some predictable future cash flows for them that that's also a good thing the other part of that is for you if let's talk about life stage and not necessarily age but in that life stage where they are still kind of go, go, go and have a lot of energy, they might find that they want to just punch out for a bit. And this money would enable them to do that. There's a friend of mine, he sold his business. And when he did his dream with his wife, and they did this, it was kind of crazy. They got an RV in Australia and New Zealand. They lived an RV life for, uh, I think they did it for two or three years with five kids. Oh, wow. Yeah, they were American. They moved down there uh, and just loved it. And they homeschooled, you know, in the RV. (laughs) But what a life experience to do something like that. And, uh, you know, since then, he's kind of come back into the advisory world and advises business owners. But 
you know, that was his dream. For others, it's other things. And there's no, there's no, there's no way to know if it's the wrong timing. I think it's just good to be ready and be able to explore. So as we wind down, as we wind down here, what last bits of advice would you give? And if someone wants to, you know, talk with you more personally, how would they connect with you? People can connect with me on my website, thebusinesstransitionsherpa.com. I I love to hear from you on LinkedIn as well. Um, I would say just as some thoughts to close out. One is, can we reverse engineer your exit? Can we think forward and then work backward? Can we think ahead to who should own your business after you? It may not be a private equity group. It Maybe it's a strategic sale. Maybe it's a competitor. Uh, maybe it's your management team, you know, if there's an internal transaction. So thinking ahead to what's the best fit, what's the legacy you want to leave for your stakeholders, which is the people you care about, your community, your clients, and your and your shareholders, um, and your family, you know, they're all part of it. And for you, if you think about the end, right, Stephen Covey, begin with the end in mind and then work backwards. So let's reverse engineer your exit. And I think, you know, just the main thing is to expand your identity beyond your business, um, to start planning a really and really fully, not half in, don't be half pregnant on this. Just go when you're thinking about it in a positive way you'll have a positive experience with building value in your business and preparing for eventual transition to uh, work with folks like myself and like you, Ross, uh, what I call the business owner advisory team. Work with people who have transactional experience who can give you expert advice um, from their own experiences plus the experiences we, we've seen from our clients. And I think it's important to know the value of your business and baseline that so that Maybe every year, every two years, if you've got a 10-year time horizon for your transition or five years, whatever it is, if you've set a goal of what you think your business should be worth and what you want to net in the transaction, if you have a gap in those numbers, well, the more time you have to close the gap, the better, right? Um, And I think just to prepare and take responsibility, just really own it. Uh, You're the business owner. You're the person that can make a difference. Be thoughtful and mindful about it and have good intent. And it'll work out. You know, we don't we don't necessarily have all the answers, but if you start early, you establish an advisory team, you commit to the process, you clarify your personal goals, you identify your transition drivers, you identify risks and how you might mitigate them, then I think you'll have a successful exit without regret. That's great wisdom. That's great advice. Uh, Lori, I really appreciate you coming on today. I think we probably could have talked for another two hours. But this has been a fascinating conversation. Thank you so much for being on. Oh, thanks so much, Ross. You've been listening to the Financial Flossing Podcast with Ross Brannon. This has been another episode of Financial Flossing with Ross Brannon, guiding dental professionals to a brighter future. If you liked what you heard, consider subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts. For more on Ross Brannon, visit rossbrannon.com. Ross Brandon is a registered representative of Coastal Equities, Inc., and investment advisory representative of Coastal Investment Advisors, Inc. Investment advisory services are offered through Coastal Investment Advisors, Inc., and securities are offered through Coastal Equities, Inc. Member FINRA, SIPC, 1201 North Orange Street, Suite 729, Wilmington, Delaware, 19801. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.